For the rest of us, I want to invite us this morning to turn to Genesis chapter 28. If you are grabbing a pew Bible, page 20. Genesis 28, and down to verse 10, which begins for us the seventh Parsha, Parsha Vayetze. Parsha Vayetze, it's the seventh Parsha in the Torah, the Torah being the first five books of the Tanakh, the Tanakh being the Hebrew Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures being what we often refer to as the Old Testament, and what is the Jesus backstory. Again, in the same way that each one of us has a backstory, right? This history of experience, both our own and those of generations that have gone before, all of it shaping, forming who we are today. And in the same way, there's this whole backstory to the life, to the life of Jesus. And so again, today we're going to pick it up with that seventh Parsha. Parsha Vayera, it Vayetze, Vayer was three weeks ago. Vayetze travels from Genesis 28.10 all the way to 32.3. And again, we're not going to cover all of that. But by way of synopsis, this Parsha begins with the story of Jacob. Noting that Parsha Toldot, Jacob appears and he is running away from Esau. He's running from the wrath of Esau. Esau, his brother, wants to kill him. And interesting, Parsha Vayetze also ends with Jacob running. And so we have Jacob running, and then we have Jacob running some more. And in between, in between all of the running, we read that Jacob, by way of synopsis, Jacob has a dream. There's a ladder. There's angels that are going up and coming down. That's followed by Jacob meeting and falling in love with and wanting to marry Rachel. But Jacob's soon-to-be father-in-law deceives Jacob and gives him Leah, Rachel's sister, instead. From there, Jacob makes a deal with his father-in-law that he might also marry Rachel, which he does. That then moves into Leah having a bunch of children. Rachel, at that point, has none, and so Rachel becomes very jealous of, of Leah. In the meantime, there's this whole spotted and speckled sheep thing happening which in part leads to Jacob becoming very wealthy. And then again, it ends with Jacob is, is running. Which I don't know about for you, but it sounds exhausting. Not, not just the running part, but kind of the craziness of marrying, not marrying, marrying kids, jealousy, spotted and speckled. And then running again, which is why just perhaps, which is why... Tucked away here, I think, in the opening verses, there is what I would maybe call a hidden gem. There's this kind of subversive undercurrent. And so with that, I want us to read a few verses here, and I'm going to invite Cliff. He's going to come on down and read for us. Genesis 28, we're going to read 10 through 16, verses 10 through 16. And then I will pray, and then we'll spend some time diving in. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. 
There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob woke from his sleep, he thought, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day. God, we ask that you, your spirit, would now be moving in and in our midst, in and through our hearts, our minds. Come and teach us yourself. Amen. Yet I have glimpsed the bright mountain behind the mountain, knowledge under the leaves, tasted the bitter berries red, drunk cold water and clear from an inexhaustible hidden fountain. Thin places, the Celts call this space, both seen and unseen, where the door between the world and the next is cracked open for a moment, and the light is not all on the other side. God-shaped space, holy. I shared this poem a number of years ago now. I resurrect it today because I, I believe Jacob finds himself in this very space. As Samir Salmanovich tells us, describes it, he says, where the membrane between mere physical reality and the reality of God's presence thins out and becomes soft and permeable, where God's world, reality as it is, intersects with our world, reality as we experience it, so that it can be seen, tasted, touched, or sensed in some unmistakable way. Thin places. It is not really known who first voiced the term. It's not even more, it's not so well defined. It's been said that thin places unmask us, relax us, transform us. In more than a specific location, a thin place is, is a moment. It's an encounter. It's this moment that is bathed in the presence of God. It's this encounter that, that is saturated in the beauty and, and wonder of God. I think maybe it's something like what the early Quakers meant when they referred to, to the term openings. Right, this, this, this moment where the veil between heaven and earth, the veil between what is seen and unseen, we could say when that door is cracked open, right, for just a moment, and the light is not all on the other side. I think there are the, these moments, these encounters, right, these, the thin place, it, it could be, could be when you look out at, at the horizon, when you look out at a 
beautiful landscape. It could be when you hear the, the morning song of the Western Meadowlark and in that moment, you, you know. The thin place could be, could be that encounter when you're with that one who, who maybe is breathing their, their very last. Or, or maybe it's an encounter with the one welcoming in the one who is breathing their very first. And in that moment, you, you know. Maybe, maybe it's, it's something that happens, something that grabs hold of you. It might be a word, a phrase, a comment, a quote. It might be, might be a view or, or, or a sense, maybe a thought or perspective. And it's in that moment that you, you know. Right? There's this deep, intimate experience that's just for you. And in that moment, in that moment you, you know. For Jacob, a thin place came to him in a dream or came in the form of a dream. We read Jacob left. Vayetze in the Hebrew. Vayetze Be'er Shavah. And set out for Haran. When he reached, we read, it says a certain place. What is Makom in the Hebrew? To put it in perhaps Celtic language, maybe it would be a thin place. We then read, he stopped for the night. That can also be translated to remain or to abide. I like that idea of abide. He's abiding. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. Verse 12, he had a dream. And here's where I think it gets interesting. I mean, listen to the description here. Right, it's a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. Angels of God, it says, ascending and descending on it. Right, all of which sounds a lot like God's world intersecting with, with, with our world. Right, in such a way that it can be seen, that it can be tasted, that it can be touched, sensed in some unmistakable way way, which is, is precisely how it then the text goes on to describe it, right? Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. Right? This is a, a, a thin place, right? God-shaped space. This is holy. But not only Jacob, in a similar way, it was true for Elijah, and what's interesting is just like it was for Jacob, Elijah, he is running as well. In fact, we read 1 Kings 19 and 3, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. And so in the same way that Jake was running, so too is Elijah. Even more than that, we, we read about all of this where, where Elijah, he becomes so distraught. Right? He's, he's so sort of tortured right? that it says he travels a day's journey. He goes into the wilderness to a broom bush. And it's there we read. He says, I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life. And then interesting, like Jacob, he, we read, he lay down and fell asleep. Now, unlike Jacob, Elijah's, Elijah's thin place is not in a dream. But rather, verse 11, it says, the Lord, the Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. In other words, it's, it's like God saying the door between, between the world and the next, 
right? I'm, 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 pay attention, listen up, right? I'm cracking it open, just, just maybe for a moment, but I'm cracking it open, right? In such a way that the light is not all on the other side. We read then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. And so this must be a thin place, right? This must be right an experience with God. This must be a God in, encounter. This must be a thin place, but the Lord was not in the wind. We read after the wind there was an earthquake. Well, that makes sense, right? What better way to communicate to get Elijah's attention? But the Lord was not in the earthquake. We then read after the earthquake came fire, and well, that fits, right? I mean, it seemed to work well for Moses, right? Surely this is a, is a thin place. But again, we read the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire, it says, came a gentle whisper. After the fire came what is in the Hebrew, kol de mama daka. Kol de mama daka. It's translated as a gentle whisper. In some translations, we read a still small voice. And yet, according to Jewish scholarship, neither is really accurate. In fact, kol de mama daka is a Jewish idiom. It's a Jewish idiom for silence. Meaning not a whisper, not a still small voice. The sound of, of silence. It was a number of years ago now, I remember, it was actually Dan Graydon invited me to go hiking, hike up to the top of Mount St. Helens. And we got up to right around, I think it was where, it was about 8,000 feet, the rim. It used to be, I think, 9,700 feet, and it's now about 8,300 to the rim. We got up to right around 8,000, and I remember just this incredible nausea came over me. And so just several hundred feet from the rim, and we stopped and just sat for a few moments. But we were so close, and I wanted to make it, and so we, after a few moments, we started walking again. Well, right away, the nausea just rolled back over me. And so I told Dan, I said, Dan, why don't you go ahead and hike up? I'm going to just stay here. You go ahead and hike up to the rim, and then we'll reconnect on, on the descent. And so Dan did, he took off. And it was in that moment that there I am up on the mountaintop, somewhere around 8,000 feet, and nobody was around me, and I'm looking out over the view, and it was the most surreal kind of experience. It's one of those where I don't know that words can really describe it. I mean, if I were try, to try to put words, I would maybe say it was a, a deep calm, Maybe I could say it was a, there, there was this quiet tranquility. I think in a word, it was called the mama daka. It, it was the sound of, of, of silence. And it was sitting there at that moment, right at that moment, that encounter, and, and I knew. Now, what's interesting even more than that, it, and I think this is fascinating, is that daka translates as thin. And so maybe even a better translation would be the sound of thin silence. 
right? Again, those moments that are bathed in the presence of, of God, those moments that are saturated in the wonder and beauty of his, of his presence, right? Again, when, when the veil between heaven and earth, when the veil between what is seen and unseen, and that door is just cracked, it's cracked open, and the light is not all on the other side. And in that moment, we know. A thin place, writes Solmanovich. A thin place could be a conversation. It could be like, like Jacob. It could be a dream. It could be a room, a tree, a dawn, a shore, a dance, a person, a scientific lab. It could be a Sabbath. It could be, could be a Eucharist. Right? It could be, as it was for Jacob, it could be a certain place. Right in the midst of a dream. It could be, as it is for Elijah, kol de mama, daka, right? That, that sound of thin silence. And I think what Salmanovich is, is reminding us that, that thin places are all around us. Thin places are, they're not reserved for, for kind of these exceptional occasions, but, but they're in the often very, very much ordinary moments. Right, if only we, if only we will notice and attend to them. Right, the, this invitation to, to enter into those, into those deep, most intimate moments, inviting us to into a, a deep and intimate awareness, and with that, inviting us then to to consider what what ways might we cultivate, what ways might we cultivate to enhance our mindfulness, what what practice might might I develop to be more intimately aware. We could ask, how might we be more present to the thin places all around us? Even right here and right now, in this very moment. Jacob left Be'ersheba and set out for Haran, when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it.